0: Well, we're finally back from our parental leave and ready to talk about more crossover events.
1: Yeah, I already had one in mind, and I think you are going to love it.
0: Oh yeah? We've covered the two big early ones, Secret Wars and Crisis, so what next? Something like, uh, Avengers Disassembled? Nope. Zero Hour? Nope. Okay, I give up.
1: Phalanx Covenant! You know, X-Men crossover from the mid-90s?
0: Uh, I I think we're going to need more Chris's.
1: Oh, well, don't worry, we got one.
0: Chris Sims. I'm so glad you're here. We're going to need the help.
2: You already to talk about comics? Yes. Yes.
1: I'm Christina Edelman. And
0: I'm Chris Edelman.
1: And this is Chris's On Infinite Earths.
0: The podcast where nothing will ever be the same.
1: Welcome to episode one of our Phalanx Covenant season.
0: Yeah, we figured we would do the really big crossovers first. We would do Secret Wars and Crisis and then, you know, Phalanx Covenant.
1: I wanted something with Emma Frost. Get over it.
0: (laughs) Well, for our big return, we have a special guest with us today. We have podcaster and comic book writer, Chris
2: Sims. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm a little upset that I'm not here for a Zero Hour episode, though. That's my oh. jam.
0: Well, you know, maybe we'll do Zero Hour later and invite you back if, you, uh, <laughs> if you're if you cool with being on. Oh, that we cover don't... with all the Batmans? <laughs> oh, it's <laughs> Every... <that's> good stuff. <laughs> Sounds good.
1: We are super excited to talk with you guys about Failing's Covenant. And as you may have gotten from our cold open, it may not be what you expected. But Chris let me choose this one. And being somebody who knows, you know... The bare minimum about comics to actually have a comics podcast. I just went into this thinking we decided we were going to do something X Men, and I wanted Emma Frost, and this is what I found. And the first line of well, not the not the series that we we're going to talk about in this episode. I was hooked.
0: Yes, um, I think you ended up reading um, Generation Next first.
1: I did because that had Emma Frost,
0: <laughs> but we decided to do this one first because this is Final Sanction, and Final Sanction is hella rad.
1: It is. It is.
0: (laughs) Chris, what did you think of Final Sanction? Just a little, a couple intro thoughts.
1: Uh, I,
2: I feel like, is this the start of Phalanx Covenant?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this is the weirdest part about Phalanx. Like, it has these three arcs, but they're all happening concurrently.
0: Right, they, they cross over to the barest minimum.
1: Right, they're all battling the same bad guy, sort of?
0: And you know, for an X Men crossover, it is strangely light on X Men,
1: <laughs> <laughs> right?
2: Well, so, the thing that got me is that a: this is called Final Sanction, <laughs> yeah. which should be what you have at the end of the crossover, and b: these two issues that we read end with the crossover starting. <laughs> they but they but they don't begin with the crossover like. Things are already happening, and then we get two issues, and then things start to happen. And I don't understand how these—I yeah. don't understand how these were made. And I say this as a Larry Hama fan. Uh, yeah. So um, this was this was definitely written by
0: Larry Hama. That's uh, well. Now I had asked Chris, by the way, uh, to, to sort of like, hey, you might want to pick one of these three. Uh, this is going to be real weird because I'm going to say asking Chris. It's going to seem like referring to myself in the third person. But uh, I don't do that, so I'm talking about uh, Mr. Sims here. And I was like, you know what? Let's just do Wolverine and Cable because I know you love Larry Hama. Let's just let's just do those.
2: I and- could not love Larry Hama more. I am a a GI Joe dude. I have all the respect for Larry Hama. The further away you get from GI Joe, the less I tend to like Larry Hama. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Well, uh, we get- kind of reaching its apotheosis in his run on Batman. Which did give the world the gift of introducing Orca the Whale Woman, one of the greatest villains of all time. <laughs> well, before we get
0: any further, do we want to do our summary?
1: Sure. Summary.
0: Wolverine number 85, written by Larry Hama, penciled by Adam Kubert, inked by Mark Farmer and Joe Rubinstein, colored by Laverne Kinzirski and Joe Andreani. Lettered by Pat Brousseau Edited by Bob Harris Cable Number 16 Written by Larry Hama Penciled by Steve Scroess Inked by Mike Sellers and Matt Banning Colored by Marie Javins Lettered by Richard Starkins Edited by Bob Harris and Lisa Patrick
1: Fresh from their somewhat offbeat honeymoon of being sent psychically to the future, Cyclops and Jean Grey fly to Muir Island at the behest of Charles Xavier only to be under attack by three terrifying robotic creatures. Luckily for them, Wolverine parachutes in with the help of his trusty pilot, Harry. He also came at the behest of Xavier, and in general has been somewhat separate from the other X-Men for a bit of time. The three mutants take the fight to the Phalanx to try and stop them from their main plan, absorbing all the genetic data from your island's facilities. See, the phalanx, who are kind of Borg-like, can absorb and assimilate humans, but not mutants. This is a mistake they intend to rectify. One of
0: the phalanx, Larissa, travels to the main hub of the phalanx to share battle data with the old X-Men foe-turned-kind-of-phalanx, Scott Lang. However, Lang seems to be hiding something and sends her back to Muir Island, where the other two phalanx members attack our trio.
1: They are quickly rebuffed by the arrival of the only man with enough ridiculous firepower to take on this threat. Cable! Cable gives them, but mostly us, the rundown on this threat. They're called the Phalanx, and they'll stop at nothing before all carbon-based life on Earth is replaced with them. So, yeah, pretty much the Borg. The Phalanx's first strike involved capturing the other main X-Men, and the hero's objective is their rescue.
0: A quick plan is formed in which Jean Grey and Cable will run telepathic interference while Psyche and Wolverine infiltrate the facility to kick some tail. Cable and Jean enter the phalanx's collective consciousness and throw down some serious psychic power. But the phalanx find a weakness in the pair's psychic linkage in the form of a confusing memory of Cable's childhood. See, as we kind of referenced above, Scott and Jean were psychically sent to the future to raise Cable from a child, but in a disguise as Slim and Red. Cable is confused about the shared memories revealed during their link, as he has no idea that Jean and Red are one and the same. This confusion is exploited by the phalanx, and even though Jean and Cable manage to deliver enough pain to get the phalanx off Cyclops and Wolverine, they are knocked out of the astral plane.
1: Cable says, to hell with it! And while Wolverine and Cyclops run out of the facility, he unloads heavy ordnance at the oncoming phalanx. Psych and Wolverine have found where the other X-Men are being held, Mount Everest, of course. The act of accessing this information came at a cost, though, and in true action movie fashion, the facility will blow in three minutes. Cable offers to hold off the phalanx while the others escape, but Wolverine returns to help him fight off the phalanx just in time for the huge explosion. The team fly off to Everest, and we come to Cable number 16.
0: We find the team in Tibet, where they have found the creepy machine tower that is housing the captured X-Men. It appears that Lang, the -the not-quite-all-the-way phalanx guy, is having second thoughts in trying to secretly communicate with the captured Psylocke. After all, he only wants to kill mutants, not humans. Another of the X-Men's old foes turned even more phalanx, Cameron Hodge, finally detects the approaching plane, which careens into the tower with a huge explosion.
1: Our heroes have, of course, bailed out of said plane and are on the north face of a cliff under the tower. Any attempt to use mutant powers or Cable's teleportation technology would alert the phalanx. So, it's time for some Cliffs of Insanity-style climbing.
0: Lang and Hodge preside over the captured X-Men, who are chilling out in green pods, while trying to figure out the strategy behind crashing the plane. Hodge believes the invading mutants have survived, while Turncoat Lang tells him to not scan the North Face, as it is certainly unclimbable. Hint, it's actually pretty climbable.
1: Lang plans a Trojan Horse-style mental maneuver with Psylocke, which requires her to completely trust him? Considering Lang has definitely tried to kill the X-Men before, this is not super great. Back on the cliff face, it is decided that Jean will need to use a microburst of telekinesis to toss Cable up onto a ledge and hopefully avoid detection by the phalanx. Cable barely makes it and is rapidly losing his grip, but manages to get everyone else up the ledge. Wolverine helps Cable up last with a very action hero bro down moment.
0: Meanwhile, in the Phalanx Citadel, Cameron Hodge seems to detect Jean Grey's telekinesis. However, Lang talks him out of checking on it. Hodge also rebuffs the now obedient Psylocke when she tells him that Lang is hiding something.
1: Cable and crew now bust into the Citadel, powers and guns blazing, while Wolverine stealthily locates the captive X-Men and manages to free Bishop, who uses his energy absorption powers to free all of the rest.
0: The invasion of the mutants causes Hodge to figure out that Lang has been lying to him. Before he is accosted, Hodge mistakenly trips Psylocke's Trojan horse trigger and she disrupts the mental network of the phalanx. Hodge begins to absorb energy from every other phalanx nest on Earth to assist in the Citadel's defense, which triggers Lang's trap card! Lang still controls the structural integrity of the citadel and causes it to collapse. With his dying breath, Hodge grabs Lang and pulls him into the collapsing tower while the X-Men make their escape. But in a quick epilogue, across the galaxy, a techno-organic foe notices the sudden disappearance of the phalanx on Earth. Alright, Christy and Chris, ultimately, opinions before we start. I liked this. I I read all three already. Mm -hmm. This was the tops. It goes like this, Generation Next, and like distant third is life signs because of Doug Locke. But (laughs) we won't go into that in this episode.
1: Well, Generation Next for me is definitely tops, you know, in part because of Emma Frost, but I also love Banshee in that. But talking strictly about these two, I feel like the more I read them, the more I liked them. That... deeper I dug into it
2: I... Uh, I only read these two comics because I wanted to recapture the feeling of being <laughs> in Sumter South Carolina in 1994 and going to a comic book shop that was mostly romance novels and <sighs> just getting whatever I could find that's literally
0: there's not my main comic book shop but I, I kind of have like a secondary comic book shop they definitely have a lot of romance novels Like, more than the average. But no, I feel you, Chris. Um, In 1994, um, I think I only got comic books out of, like, local grocery stores. And um, I was trying to read the Clone Saga. And that is not something that was super easy to read random bits of.
1: I was five years old. So I was still working on, like, reading.
2: (laughs) The things that really stuck out to me about these two issues, they're extremely long. But nothing happens in the first one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, nothing at all. it The first one is basically just a setup for the second one.
2: Yeah, nothing happens in the first one. And then the second part is all Scott and Jean and Cable and Wolverine for some reason dealing with the events of the Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, which is itself a completely bonker series. No, absolutely man. Uh...
1: <laughs> yeah, i I mean I part of the reason i also picked this one is cuz I, I it was a little bit i mean we had less of the traditional x men there were fewer that i had to like focus on really delving in and the ones that were there i really liked but yeah it's very it's kind of makes it weird
0: uh i thought it was fun to jump into a wolverine issue and the first people to show up were jean gray and
2: cyclops and then yeah. wolverine
0: parachutes in
2: <laughs> wolverine literally parachutes into his own story that's yes. actually great <laughs> And this is so it's so weird because this is a thing that I've said about Marvel crossovers is that I think maybe like what what came after World War Hulk? Because none of them ever have the everybody in their iconic roles, right? Like Secret Wars has a weird like a weird Hulk who's not the the savage Hulk. Yeah. And uh, Infinity Gauntlet has Eric Masterson Thor, and, and, and Secret Wars also has Rhodey as Iron Man, which, you know, I really like Rhodey as Iron Man, so don't take that the wrong way. But it's not, you know, I think Civil War is maybe the first Marvel crossover that has everybody, it, like, like Tony Stark, Steve Rogers, Thor, <laughs> Thor Son, and everybody. Well, no, because Thor, Thor's not in that one, is he? No, Thor is a, a robot clone clone. Thor. <laughs> yeah. And then Hulk's not in it either. So I I know there's one that they finally did it and had everybody there. I mean, Um, honestly, maybe it was Operation Galactic Storm. There's a lot going on in that book. But I think it's funny that this one is Bone Claws Wolverine.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Like recently Bone Claws Wolverine, because, you know, we didn't start with um, with Fatal Attractions for for this podcast. We'll probably swing around to it later, which is going to be strange. And that was yeah. what, Wolverine seventy five? So this is less than a year after Bone Claws. They mm-hmm. definitely reference it as if it's like a, hey, if you're new to Wolverine, we just wanted to fill you in, or if we haven't you haven't been on Wolverine in a while, his claws are bones now. <laughs>
2: right. right. Well, I feel they... like there's a very obvious reason that they did that. Oh yeah? Uh this is nineteen ninety four. Yes. And the the major experience I have with the Phalanx Covenant is not in the comics. It's when I was doing uh for Comics Alliance, uh the site that I wrote for for as head writer for 7 years before they fired me and everyone who worked there with 12 hours notice. I I remember this
0: well. Uh we yeah. were in we were literally on vacation and I I followed an absolute ton of you guys. I follow like L Collins and I was just like, "Oh my god, they just ended Comics Alliance. It's my it's my absolute favorite site." Uh but yeah. I definitely read a lot of those um X-Men 92 animated series recaps. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so they do the Phalanx Covenant on that show. And I, I, I say Phalanx because I'm from South Carolina. It's, it's Phalanx, I'm sure. Oh man, I definitely like say Phalanx too. So.
1: Yeah. <laughs> phalanx.
2: Yeah, we're, we are from
0: Missouri. so.
2: But they do the Phalanx Covenant on the show, but it's very clear. I think it happens in the third season. And they've kind of run out of big Claremont and Byrne stories. Unfortunately, they never do, like, God Loves Man Kills as a Saturday morning cartoon. You know, like, the best one. (laughs) But they've, you know, they've done, at that point, they've done Dark Phoenix, they've done, like, Sentinels, and they've done Days of Future Past. So I always had the feeling that somebody at the Marvel Animation Department, at Saban, I guess, calls up Marvel and is like, hey, what you got going on in X-Men right now? Because the version they have of Phalanx Covenant is very clearly adjusted for television but it's not a direct adaptation of what happens in the comics in the way that dark phoenix was so i feel like they're going off the pitch and then they do age of apocalypse before it happens in the comics and at that point they're way off the rails so i feel like this was you know it's a big comic wolverine's wolverine and jean and Scott are on the covers in their Saturday morning cartoon costumes, those Jim Lee era costumes. So if you're me and you're 12 and you're going to the comic book store, your frame of reference isn't like Fatal Attractions. It's the X-Men animated series where Wolverine has him, uh, Adam adamantium of Claws, but can't cut anything with them.
0: <laughs> de- yeah, he pops them and then kind of like struggles with people. Unless they're robots, then it is an all clear, which... Phalanx seems perfect for that.
1: Lots of robots. Well, it's Techno-organic like... life forms.
0: So, Chris, recently I've read one of your That's What's Ups, and you were talking about Star Trek TNG. So I, you are familiar with Star Trek TNG to a probably pretty decent degree, correct?
2: I would say extremely. Extremely. I was just talking to friends of mine right before I got on this call, uh, saying that I wanted to... <laughs> I wanted to uh, book an independent wrestling show so I could have a tag team called Darmok and Jalad. <laughs>
0: uh, well, I am. Uh, there's there's a there's a particular podcast I listen to that is heavy on the TNG. But anyway, how how much was this ripped from the Borg? Is what I'm wondering.
2: A hundred percent. It seems like <laughs> so much ripped from the Borg. Well, which is weird because Warlock predates the Borg. True, mm-hmm. but. But this story, th- like they they don't use the word assimilate, and that's the only thing they bothered to change. It's what what is it? It's because they talk about like, oh, we can't do it to mutants, we can't assimilate mutants, but they don't say assimilate.
1: I
0: honestly think in the in in Generation Next they maybe do say assimilate. I think so because I remember just kind of going, okay, cool. Let me look up when Best of Both Worlds came out just to make absolutely certain they <laughs> ripped
2: this from TNG. Yeah, that would have been, what, 1990? Uh, yeah, something like that. It was the like, end I, of season three? Next Generation's 87. So Next Generation would have been, like, in its last season as this oh, was happening. true. We hadn't had a movie about the Borg yet, but we had had a TV show, <laughs> for sure.
0: Right, which um, they kind of go the whole route of... Um, so so the, a lot of the complaints with the Borg, I feel like we're going TNG, but I feel like in this case we're good, is that... In the show, they're like terrifying because there's no one voice for them other than when Picard gets assimilated. but in the movie, some people are like, "Oh, there's a Borg queen and now it kind of takes some of the bite out of them because they're not quite as they're not quite as terrifying when they have someone speaking for them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They seem to have two people speaking for the phalanx, and everybody has
2: names
1: <laughs> yeah lots of lots of named individuals within this collective
2: I honestly had a pretty hard time. This is Cameron Hodge, right? Who's never named right. as Cameron Hodge in this. Larry oh, okay. should know better.
0: Yeah, but it's definitely Cameron Hodge. I think they call him Hodge even in, in other bits of this crossover. And Stephen Lang, which seems to be like, all right, we gotta pull up a couple of villains that uh that are kinda robot y. <laughs> so yeah. we're gonna grab Hodge and uh Lang, you know. Where's <laughs> Donald Pierce? <laughs> <laughs> Donald Pierce would have been
2: perfect. He's literally Donald Pierce would have been great. That dude's halfway there. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. It's very Borg, but it's very Borg by way of X-Men. Because the thing is, you'd never look at Hugh, right, on Next Generation and be like, oh, that's just Warlock. (laughs) Because it's not. It's definitely not. And it's, this is clearly Borg, but it's like, this is exactly how the Borg would happen in Marvel Comics in 1994. Like, (laughs) there is no other way to present that idea.
0: Yes, 100%.
2: Can can I briefly talk about the best-slash-worst-slash-best-again thing that happens in these two comics?
0: Uh, Please do. Yeah, by please do.
2: Okay, so Wolverine parachutes into the book, (laughs) 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 Uh, chops off the head of the Borg Queen uh, that keeps talking, which is actually, like, the pieces of... The face coming back together while yelling at Wolverine is pretty dope, actually. Mm -hmm. But then uh, the phalanx destroys a uh, power line. And Cyclops goes, good lord, they traveled through the underground cable that connects this weather (laughs) station to the main lab. And then there's two gunshots. (laughs) And then, I thought I heard you mention my name as I was body sliding in. Yes,
0: (laughs) yes. That was that went in my notes. I was like, does cable just randomly show up when people are talking about
2: television? <laughs> it's great. And then the the absolute best thing is immediately after that when you get a like like a half splash of cable showing up. And he's got this he's got the biggest gun he could possibly have, because of it course is, he does. He's cable. It's huge. He,
1: it, yeah. It's, it it's has a
2: barrel. <laughs> and five sub-barrels. It's gigantic. <laughs> but then it has, on a tiny little metal arm, a scope. <laughs> like, there's like a little piece of it, like like a little tiny piece coming out, because he has to hold it so far away from his body that the scope has to be like on a like, foot-long attachment to get to his eye. I love this. Uh, I feel like Cable
0: has maybe never actually aimed a gun in his life. I have never seen him without two of them at once, or one giant one where he just seems to be holding it away from him like a minigun. Oh, it's very good. <laughs> it's very good. C- cable coming in with the mention of cable was pretty good. He, what is he? Body slides in the it, which to those of you who don't know is like the the cool way that cable and cable teleports the mm-hmm. body slide by x where x is a number. It's great. It's my favorite. Yes. This is definitely of the three, it's like the most like action movie heavy of, of of the three. The Oh yeah. Not like not even close. Generation next, it's like they it, it Generation Next reminds me of that show The Gifted that is like mm-hmm. currently broadcasting. Yeah. Where they're very much like trying to like Stealth. Yeah, stealth in. And then Life Science is just a lot of a lot of Doug feelings. Y-
1: maybe too much.
0: Right. Whereas Larry Hama's <laughs> like, you know what? If Cable and Wolverine are gonna meet i better make this the most extreme thing
2: yeah but it takes so many weird forms because they they fight and it's like oh we can't we can't chop them up with these bone claws of mine and then cable shows up and seems to be doing a fine job of shooting things like that seems very effective and then that's like it's such a long comic it is 30 plus
0: pages and yeah uh, it's
2: it had a $3.50 cover price in 1994 cuz it had a it had a chromium cover.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. And it was huge. Yes. I know those Wolverines tended to have a slightly slightly bigger in general price. They were considered premium, but this one's like this is super premium. Mm-hmm. Like when I started reading comics in 2008, you wouldn't find a like a whole lot of 350 comics unless they were big crossovers.
2: Oh yeah, DC was holding the line at 299.
0: <laughs> they certainly were. <laughs>
1: I oh. love how they even make the, the Astral Plane seem very action movie when Gene and uh, when Cable you know, team up. It it still feels really action packed. Oh, you mean the by the
0: fact that Jean is wearing like a Myrmidon outfit in her own mind?
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Which she's wearing because that's what Professor X wears when he fights the Shadow King. Oh, that's right. That's he right. Wa- wa- he wears the weird gladiator outfit. Yes. there's. It's such a weird visual callback, and I love that Cable looks even more Cable in his mental projection. He's right. shaped like a like a Dorito with tree trunk arms. <laughs> that's, that's 100% true.
0: Uh, in general, I like the art in issue one particularly. I think that's that uh, Adam Kubert was penciling. He makes Cable seem just, like, filled with muscles.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean... Everybody was filled with muscles, but especially Cable. Well, if you don't make Cable filled with muscles, like, what are you doing? Right.
2: I love all the cuts back to Cable and Jean while they're fighting in the astral plane and they cut back to their bodies and they're just standing very furiously.
1: Yes.
2: <laughs> they look very sweaty.
1: Road brows. Yes. And...
2: and that's where, like, all the flashback stuff about of, of Two Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix. Mm-hmm. It's so weird, and it's the kind of weird that you really only get in superhero comics because they're fighting these techno-organic monsters, and they're projecting into the astral plane, and meanwhile, Wolverine's over here, like, stabbing something, but then every now and then, he'll be like, but how did you know about that thing from my my distant past, which is actually the future? And then there's that weird line where uh, Wolverine's like, you know, Gene? When I look into your eyes, it's like, it's been two years since the last time I saw you. And she's like, more like 12 years.
0: It's so weird. It is. It was, it was strange that we picked this because I felt like we had a lot of catching up to do. And that this comic wants you to read Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix so bad, which to those of you who do not know, since uh, strangely enough, a a lot of our listeners seem to be like somewhat not as up on the comic books as, as, uh, as we, one would expect to get into Final Sanction. Gene and Cyclops were transported mentally to the mm-hmm. future. Not uh-huh. their bodies. Not their bodies. To cloned bodies.
1: <laughs> of their distant ancestors.
0: Yep. Um, by Mother Ascani, who Mother Ascani is... Rachel Summers their their daughter
2: their daughter the future.
1: <laughs> their future daughter <laughs> from, from an alternate reality <laughs> from a different
2: future from a different future so that they could raise Cable who's kind of their son but not really
0: yes that is 100% what adventures of cyclops and phoenix is and then they came back recently they're only on this because they wanted to talk to professor Xavier about something they'd found out about the legacy virus mm-hmm. which is a virus that affects mutants which is, it's supposed to be like an AIDS parallel, for better or for worse.
1: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a lot of lot of backstory kind of thrown in here, but I feel like you could pick it up without knowing all of that. Well, they and definitely still... put the
2: flashbacks yeah. into the comic, right? which is handy. I, when we started writing X-Men 92, uh, which was a a book we did for 14 issues, my writing partner, Chad Bowers and I, and uh, Scott Koblish did the four-issue miniseries, and then Alti Formancia and Corey Hampshire did the the ten issues. Uh, I, you know, we we would do like a lot of interviews where people would ask us, like, oh, you know, what was you know what was your relationship like to the X Men in the nineties? And one of the things I distinctly remember, and I've said this in in interviews before, is that when I was a kid and I read an X Men comic, I felt like I would never be able to comprehend it, like because there's so much going on that I thought I would never be able to understand at all. I would never get the whole story, which I think explains a lot about. My approach to writing the X-Men, <laughs> where one of the the jokes that uh, Chad and I said was, we're trying to write just the X-Men issues of a crossover between four books, but the other three books don't exist. Uh, uh, fair. But this is exactly what I'm talking about, because there's, we got to talk about the Legacy Virus. Also, Wolverine's got Bone Claws. Also, Cable doesn't know that we went to the future, but we did go to the future and we were there for 12 years. Also the border invading BT dubs, (laughs) just so you know.
0: Sometimes the phalanx almost seem like a background to the alternate drama that is happening.
2: Oh, absolutely. In in Cable number 16, uh, the comic book where they climb up a wall. (laughs) (laughs) They climb up a wall that is Mount Everest. Okay. They they (laughs) climb They climb up a. They climb about 20 feet of Mount Everest. Let's be real. But it's Mount Everest, so obviously it's really cold up there, so they gotta put on jackets.
1: Yeah. No snow,
0: though. Yeah, I was just like, where the hell is the snow in this comic on Mount Everest?
2: Also, I don't get why they flew a plane and then continued climbing up. Like, I feel like the advantage of a plane is that you are generally above things. I know Mount Everest Mm -hmm. is very tall. But planes.
1: Well, Jean did say she was aiming higher.
2: Oh, right? that's right.
1: Yeah. She was
0: aiming higher. <laughs> and poor Harry, that dude's plane is super old. And they're like, we're going to sacrifice it for like a minimum amount of actual worth to our mission. Whereas then we're going to climb up th- what Cable says is a thousand feet. Straight up. <laughs> <laughs> that's a kilometer for... Or, no, I'm sorry. That's... No, that's not a kilometer. <laughs> But 1,000 feet is a bunch. Uh, Chris, I don't know if you've been rock climbing.
2: I uh, never, never Chris, have.
0: Chrissy, uh, I've been married to you for seven years, but I don't actually think I've ever asked you. Have you ever been rock climbing?
1: <laughs> I mean, I did when we worked at that camp. And, <gasps> that's right, yeah.
0: that's right. I have been rock climbing. A 1,000 feet would be insane. I went up maybe 30, and I was like, I'm going to die. Now, granted, these are mutants, which as we know from right. even Claremont, Any mutant is, like, great, right? Like, they're all physically fit.
1: They're nearly, like, free climbing. They have, (laughs) like, a rope, and that's it. They're 100% free climbing.
2: (laughs) Well, they they specifically talk about how they don't have stuff. (laughs) Like, Cable's like, I could maybe get up there if we had some climbing gear, but we don't, and we can't (laughs) use our mutant powers, because this whole issue is, like, so weirdly arbitrary rules- Suddenly, it's like okay. Well, we couldn't fly there with the plane because we had to use the plane to crash the plane into the the phalanx. So now we're like a thousand feet below where the plane was, which is a significant amount of feet. Even though one of us can fly, Jean can fly. Jean can fly and also carry people.
0: Mm-hmm. She can, not but they. But she spot can't her. use.
2: But she can't use her mutant. It's not that they'd spot her; it's that she can't use her mutant powers because they'll detect her mutant powers, which is weird because Wolverine has claws. <laughs> and wolverine's mutant powers are on all the time so it can detect telekinesis but not cyclops's constantly active optic blasts that are only held in check by his visor or wolverine's enhanced senses or cable who as we know at this point because they talk about the techno-organic virus cable is constantly using his telekinesis to keep the the techno-organic virus from taking over his body he they're all using their mutant powers all the time
0: uh, yeah, except for, except for possibly, Gene is like the one exception, and yet she's the one that's, that's spotlighted by these, by these somewhat arbitrary restrictions. Mm-hmm. Uh, this also makes Cameron Hodge seem like a dope.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs>
0: Whereas, yeah, uh, A, the, the plane, the plane crashes and he decides that uh, he's going to do a little, a little CSI.
1: Mm-hmm. So He reconstructs the plane. He makes
0: the plane.
1: <laughs> Again. Just to just to figure out what was going on.
0: And then he finds a techno organic tentacle in the plane and is like, Oh, clearly this is from Muir Island after knowing that these people were at Muir Island because that's what the phalanx from the previous issue told him.
1: Right. He's like, Well, at least I can get some memories from this. From this tentacle about what happened there, I guess.
0: And Stephen Lang, who's having second thoughts about letting the phalanx murder
2: or assimilate everyone. And when you say second thoughts, (laughs) that is a very literal description of what is happening. I love, I really do love, because while our A-team is climbing up the mountain, we get cutaways to Psylocke, who is being... They're trying to take over. They're trying to assimilate Psylocke, but they can't because it doesn't work on mutants for whatever reason. Yeah. So instead, but 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 it can if they let it. <laughs> like Psylocke will agree. If you want
1: to be assimilated, you can be.
2: Yeah. So there's he's having all these like ah Psylocke we will we will crush you and destroy the X Men. Hey, I don't actually want to crush you. I'm destroying X Men. Um, But I do need a favor, if you could... We're gonna take over your mind! you just, like, let us take over your mind, then we could, like, send you and you could do some Psylocke stuff. That would be great. <laughs> and Psylocke basically is like, I don't trust you, but cool? No, well, she... I, I love this, because she's like, well... Th- she's very fatalistic about it, because she goes, well, I don't think you're being honest with me, but I am also literally... Tied down in a Borg cube right now So I don't have a lot of options So sure go for it Okay
1: (laughs) But she doesn't really seem like She's fully she's not she doesn't wind up phalanxy looking she's just Over did they say that she's They override her like program her to I don't, I don't she know. Sub- she
0: submits to the programming, but she's not like a weird sort of like robot creature, right? And yeah, and so so Lang is still awful because the only reason he's upset about this is because he found out that the Phalanx is going to also try to take over humanity.
1: Mm-hmm. He's Re- like mutants, getting rid of them, absolutely fine, but humans, not so much,
0: right? Which is it, that's that's pretty it's pretty Stephen Langy. From right, Claremont. but
1: I I don't know how he wouldn't have known that like going in like how is that a surprise? <laughs> it's like
0: yeah, Stephen Stephen Lang joined a hate group and found that they hated more people than he did, and now he's having second thoughts. <laughs>
1: oh,
2: isn't that always the way?
0: <laughs> isn't that always the way?
2: Uh, th- when <laughs> Psylocke gets reprogrammed, um, they constantly refer to it as submitting, and then Silock has the dialogue. I am now a totally submissive pre-programmed tool of the collective consciousness, which Uh, sounds like something Claremont would write. uh, 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 Yeah. But is it?
0: It isn't. So Chrissy, I know you haven't, you haven't read like a a ton of Chris Claremont. Mm -hmm. There is, there's some stuff in some Chris Claremont X-Men. There's an, uh, there's an issue where they all become uh, babies. Not really babies though. (laughs) More like, they cannot do anything for themselves, so they have to be like fed by a robot. And the entire time I'm reading it I'm going Uh Okay.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's that's when Magneto builds a nanny robot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's weird. <laughs> but like <laughs> that's weird. This is weird. Okay. Larry Hama. Yes. Legitimately one of the the best comics writers of all time. And I know he's one of the best comics writers of all time because he's on G.I. Joe for 155 issues. And when he was asked in an interview how far ahead he was plotting, his answer was two to three pages at most, which is delightful because that book is full of interweaving storylines and characters who have these complicated relationships who come back and affect each other. And, you know, G.I. Joe 21 Hama writes and, and basically draws, like he did all the breakdowns for Steve Lialoa. And, you know, it reveals that Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes have the same tattoo, which becomes the driving force of the book for a hundred issues. And he didn't know that's what he was going to do with that. He knew, <laughs> He knew two pages ahead. He's great. So the way that he plays out the events of this comic makes sense, sort of. definitely sort of everything it's it's so weird because usually the problem with a comic is that something will happen that makes sense for the reader but not for the characters i read so many comics where i'm like oh does does uh does lex luther have a pull list has he been reading superman (laughs) (laughs) you know as an example Mm
1: -hmm. uh
2: but the characters in this comic act Completely logically based on the information they have, which is buck wild for the information we have, and that I think is captured best in the scene where uh, Wolverine climbs up Cable's body <laughs> so that he can pull him up onto onto a ledge on Mount Everest, pure rock, no snow, no snow, <laughs> uh, and then he's like, "Hey, I can tell that when Jean looks at you." She has a lot of love in her eyes, so don't you dare break her heart. And it's, he's her—he's kind of, sort of her son from the future. It's no one knows that, but that's what's going on, and it's so weird for Wolverine to be like, you know, hey, I don't mind Cyclops. <laughs> like you can go break that relationship up. That's fine. I've tried, but but don't you dare, don't you dare hurt her feelings, or I will stab you with my bone claws. It's so. Bonkers! I love it.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's fantastic. Um, Cyclops is kind of my boy, and he gets done dirty by this comic. And by done dirty, (laughs) I mean he is not in this comic. No, he he does like it's like it's like if okay. So let's pretend that we are that there is an X Men like Mass Effect game, and I am I I've made my my random mutant hero, and then one of the people I take with me is Cyclops. But it's definitely a mission where he. It, it has no personal stakes for him. And he just occasionally says lines that they've programmed in for that mission. That's Cyclops in this comic. And I'm just like, Oh, come on, bud. You can, you can, can say stuff. things. <laughs> uh, no, Cyclops is my absolute favorite. We can blame um, fellow podcaster, Jay Edidin for
2: that. <laughs> yeah. This is not a, a shining moment for Cyclops. He's there. <laughs>
0: he, he shoots some eye beams. He definitely has a cool moment with Wolverine and issue back. Where he says, "I'm gonna aim high," and Jean's like, "What are you doing? You can't just say that." And then he aims
2: low. <laughs> That's that is that is Larry Hama as heck right there. That is such a that is such a Larry Hama page. Uh, I think that so they, whole scene they... with Wolverine telling Cable not to break Jean's heart would have been infinitely better if he had been like, you know, when Cyclops looks at you. I mean, I can't see his eyes, obviously, but the body language. <laughs> <laughs> Very his... good at reading, funny language. <laughs> his furrowed brow definitely indicates. His constant frown. <laughs> this is his, his...
1: Speaking of the part climbing up the mountain, where they all decide that since Cable cannot physically pull himself up, they're just all going to climb up Cable, because that is the next logical step.
0: Yeah, you know what's easier than uh, pulling yourself up? Having three full-grown human beings just <laughs> climb up you. And <laughs> then help you up.
2: At least Wolverine does not have adamantium bones at this point. Yeah. How much is he supposed to weigh with adamantium? Like? Well, fun fact about Wolverine, when he doesn't have the adamantium, his bones are hollow like a bird's bones. <laughs> <laughs> Wolverine's a dinosaur. You have heard it here first.
1: With the whole climbing up the the north face, we have some some nice trickery going on with Hodge and Lang and you know, of course, the North Face is Im- impassable to anybody. Nobody can climb up the North Face. You definitely shouldn't check there.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cameron Hodge, you should not check there. <laughs> and Cameron Hodge just listens to Stephen Lang. He's just kind of like, no, I guess so. I kind, you kind of, I kind of makes logical it. sense. <laughs> makes logical sense. Even though they're mutants, and I have personally established that mutants could maybe do it, I guess I'll listen to you. <laughs> Uh, we'll get, well, oh yeah, that's, that's going to be uh spoiler for our accolades. That's definitely going to come up for me. <laughs> so they cut, co- they come in and they, they, they get, they, they fight, they free the X-Men via Bishop.
1: Yeah, well, Wolverine, tiny puncture into these weird gelatinous green pod things that they're, that the X-Men are all being held in.
0: Right. Uh, they push a phalanx into Bishop and he's good. Of course. <laughs> I feel like that happens in a lot of things, like where someone is freed, but they just need one thing to get themselves free.
1: He says, but it's it's only a pin, like only a pinhole poked in the little green pod, but that's enough. enough.
0: (laughs) I'm trying to think of other media where it's come up, but it does come up more than than I'm thinking.
1: Just need a a tiny crack. Yes. To exploit.
0: Hey, hey, come on, you gelatinous yahoos. (laughs) (laughs) It's still, it's buck wild to me. So- this is this is the most we see the X Men in all s- nine issues. Is it nine issues of this of this quote unquote crossover? I know that we mm-hmm. cover crossovers in advance, yeah. and all three they're somewhat related. Right. This is the most we see of the X Men.
1: Right, like, just them bursting out of their gelatinous prisons.
0: Yes, we get uh, uh, Wolverine teaming up with Beast and saying mm-hmm. that he is going to beat them about the head and shoulders. <laughs> yeah. uh, can we can we talk real quick about When in the heck did Wolverine start to become the all-knucklehead? Oh,
2: I've been trying to figure that out, and I don't know. I haven't, like, I've not really gone back and read the, like, the Wolverine solo series.
0: I haven't either. I I outsourced this question because I really wanted to be very smart on this podcast. I'm, I'm... I frequent the, the Explain the X-Men Discord, which is just an absolute ton of X-Men people all the time. And I just went, please tell me somebody knows when Wolverine became the Ulka Knucklehead. And nobody seemed to know, except they thought it was probably in the Solo series, and they thought it was a Larry Hama-ism.
2: Yeah, that's what I was... Th- it's almost assuredly a Larry Hama thing. It would have to be. Because he's on Wolverine for a really long time, too. Right. And like didn't... he's on Wolverine up through like up through ninety nine, I think. Oh my!
0: He's goodness. on it
2: forever. Has he written it more than anyone else? I I I don't know, but I think so.
0: If not, he's certainly a contender. It seems yeah. like. Well, I
2: mean, I might have that wrong. I should probably look that up, but I'm pretty sure he left Wolverine to go to Batman, and that was in two thousand. Holy heck! Wow,
0: that is a long time on Wolverine. But he
2: might have just been a. I might just be remembering him listed as a former Wolverine writer at that point. Let's see, Wolverine—he's on Wolverine Volume Two, starting in at number thirty-one, and then he's there's a fill-in, a couple fill-in, there's like five issues of fill-ins, and he leaves at one eighteen.
0: Wow, yeah, that's so he's
2: on for seventy-five issues.
0: Holy heck, that is for an absolute long time. I can't think of anybody in recent memory who's been on Wolverine that long.
2: Jason Aaron, maybe?
0: Yeah, Jason Aaron. If maybe. you count it all? Yeah, Wolverine and the X-Men plus Wolverine. Um shout out to yeah to Kansas City, Kansas City original Jason Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> Chris, I don't know. We are from the Kansas City area and we are real jerks about all of the cool comic creators we have.
2: <laughs> oh man, you, you got so many good ones down there.
0: Uh yeah, we got Jason Aaron, uh as as far as like current creators. We have Dennis Hopeless.
2: Kansas, yeah. uh, you got Fraction.
0: I was fractured Kelly, with Kansas City. Kelly
2: Sue lived there briefly.
0: <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're claiming him anyway.
2: He's he's from here. He's from uh, North Carolina. Uh, with,
0: yeah. As far as Missouri, we got some good ones. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris Somney's from Missouri. He's from your neck of the woods around in St. Louis. But yeah. yeah. Larry, I feel like this is a Larry Hama-ism because I didn't notice it in any of Claremont's stuff. It definitely seems to come up independently from that but he he says it i think no less than three times in it's in, a, oh,
2: yeah. at least twice in cable
0: oh yeah absolutely absolutely so the x-men are freed they they you know at that point like the story is pretty much a done deal they they get free they wreck the very much kind of like a wasp nests base that the yes. phalanx have
1: well it's not even that they wreck, oh, the, they base. Don't wreck the base yeah uh we, we've got they've been they've been doing some damage so we have uh, hodge who decides to pull the energy from all of the other nests or bases all over the globe to keep their central like hive alive which is just what lang suspected he would do
0: right uh, and then he wrecks it
2: <laughs> uh, christy can i ask you a question yes you said from all over the globe mm-hmm. which globe though because because that is not earth <laughs> That is, the the planet that is drawn and referred to as Earth has continents, landmasses, and oceans I have never seen. And I feel like it's very easy to find a, a representative image of the planet Earth. Uh,
1: it's an abstract.
0: Earth. Yeah, it's definitely a planet that is blue. It is also green.
2: Uh, it's... I don't, like, everything looks like you are looking at Italy through a kaleidoscope (laughs) (laughs) on this earth. Uh, There's also a really good moment um, after Psylocke uh, renders herself completely submissive to the program. There's a contingency that will allow Betsy Braddock's mind to reassert itself, which is that when she is ordered to attack Cable. Mm -hmm. And so Cameron Hodge, when the X-Men escape, uh, goes, Psylocke. Attack the X-Men! And Psylocke goes, All the X-Men? <laughs> <laughs> which is, which, that's meant, like, by the logic of the story, that's the programming asking for a specific target. But it's definitely Psylocke being like, I can almost get out of this. Right. And so they tell her
0: to focus on Cable, and it's like, ding, 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 ding!
2: <laughs> yeah, we he doesn't want we'll yeah, finish day. a sentence. <laughs>
1: it's true.
2: That's very good.
0: And it seemed like, ultimately, that plan wasn't necessary.
1: Yeah, was it super important for her to submit to the... I'm not sure what exactly what that accomplished. Well, it's
0: not... I don't think Stephen Lang really thought that Wolverine, Cable, Jean Grey, and Cyclops were going to crash the party. So he was trying to do this with the resources that he had.
2: Well, he thought Cable was going to make it. Yeah, at
1: least Cable. <laughs>
2: But again, this is a weird example of characters acting logically with the information they have because uh, Lang makes the like it's a perfectly reasonable plan that the events of the story do not allow for because things do not like and that kind of adds to the the sort of chaos of it, which also makes it overwhelmingly confusing to read. But I kind of like that because it makes it feel it makes it feel a little more real. But in a way that does not make for a good story, like this is just someone telling you what happened.
0: No, yeah, it's it's definitely weird and in but it, it yeah, like it's like if you
1: all the pieces don't quite fall into line the way that you think they might so right
0: It's messy in a way that it, that is, it is
1: realistic m-
0: correct. It just is not yeah, it's it's messy in a way that just seems kind of messy
2: <laughs> well it, it does all build up to us getting. I think one of the great last lines of dialogue like that a villain could possibly have like setting up something it's so it's such a cool line and threatening and menacing uh which is when uh this bad guy shows up in the end and goes it seems a more aggressive tactic is called for something more to the point yes
0: <laughs> yeah and which which is so this is this is some like space phalanx guy
1: mhm
2: I mean, it looks like it looks like Death's Head as a phalanx, but...
0: It definitely does. And it makes it seem like, next issue, Cable's going to be fighting that guy. No. <laughs>
2: definitely not. God bless Richard Starkings for lettering to the point in big, outlined red letters trying to make that seem like it means anything. <laughs> right.
0: Like you, you're searching back through the comic, trying to see if there was like a sharp reference or something like the, <laughs> the points. Uh, so they have swords. I don't know. Are, are you two wrestling fans at all? Yes. Uh, so, <laughs> okay. We went to WrestleMania a couple of years ago. Actually. Okay. Chris, you got us into wrestling. Oh, well, there you go. There was a war rocket Ajax King of Trio special mm-hmm. from 2015. This was after our first kid was born mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in which. I needed a hobby where because I didn't.
1: Because we were stuck at home. Because we were
0: stuck at home. I, I'm like, I can't go anywhere. Like, I used to love going to, like, we have an Alamo Drafthouse local. And I was like, mm-hmm. I was there every week watching one thing or the other. Going
1: to play magic tournaments. Going Different to play magic things.
0: tournaments. We're that kind of nerd. we not that kind of nerds playing magic tournaments. And I'm like, I need something I, I can sit on my couch for. And we heard the, the the War Rocket Ajax King of Trios. Well, I did. And went, hey, hey, Christy. Ah. Uh, I uh, I think I'm gonna watch wrestling.
1: <laughs> I, there was there was like a quadruple take there. Like, <laughs> Did I watch wrestling? wrestling as
0: a child? No, not even a little bit. I was a goody two shoes, and I thought the Attitude Era was was very offensive, and it was something that my my little self could not take. But yes, we are we are both wrestling fans. We went to WrestleMania in 2015. This Saturday, I'm going. To, I'm flying to a Progress Show in Chicago. So wait, which which WrestleMania was that? The 2015? Uh, no, it would be 2016. Uh, In Orlando.
2: Okay, because I was, I think I was at the one in 2015, because I think that was the New York one. Because I did go to that one. I thought maybe we were at the same WrestleMania. Oh, that would have been rad. Um, Do you remember, there was a promo, I think it was CM Punk yelling at Jerry Lawler. And Jerry Lawler got up at the end and grabbed a microphone and he was like, hey, I'll think about it. (laughs) (laughs) And that was clearly supposed to be a moment but either he forgot what he was supposed to say, or he's Jerry Lawler and he's just bad at things. But that's what I feel like this is. It's like, oh, the X-Men are free, uh, and the phalanx is, is retreating. I'll think about it. Next issue. The Dark Ride Begins.
0: Right. Which is not the Dark <laughs> I, can- I. So I'm not super familiar with 1994 X-Men. Christy, you are... Probably as familiar as 1994
1: X-Men as me. I, I did a crash course in the X-Men, but only up to 1994, so...
0: Right. But the Dark Ride, I was like, oh, cool, the Phalanx are going to come back for the Dark Ride. The Dark Ride is something not even related. Yeah. So it's basically like, these guys, we'll see them.
2: <laughs> yeah, because the, the Phalanx Covenant is only, like, one issue of each title, so it's, like, nine parts. Mm-hmm. That's because there were nine X-Men books. Yeah. Yes, it's which too- I kind of wish that was how crossovers worked. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, man, like remember when the casket of ancient winters opened in Thor, and so like every Marvel book, it was just snowy that
1: month.
0: Yeah, that's fine. Please, more of those. More but, of that. I like it. When I got into comics, I absolutely love crossovers. Your boy Chris bought literally every tie-in to Secret Invasion, which oh yeah, <laughs> That I spent oh, my buddy. <laughs> you know what? I discovered Secret Invasion Black Panther, which is actually fantastic.
2: <laughs> I, I remember going into the comic book store. I don't remember which one was first, but I remember going in and being like, Hey, I'm reading these Superman books, so I need every tie-in to Our Worlds at War, <laughs> <laughs> which was bad. And yeah. then like the next year I was like, Hey, I'm going to need every tie-in to Joker Last Laugh oh boy <laughs> yeah that was that was rough times uh by the way uh that i will apply those to older crossovers i will say uh every ca- every tie-in to infinity wars and infinity countdown is great especially Darkhawk and sleepwalker so <laughs> absolutely absolutely get all those uh so i was those actually are really good and honestly secret wars had a bunch of super good stuff too yeah no secret wars was the
0: the 2015. Okay, you know what? I'm gonna 1985. I loved, but 2015, more recently, the tie-ins were fantastic. Yeah, uh, No Infinity Countdown is is great, and I was I was
2: noticing some people online saying I feel like people are sleeping on this.
0: Like it is it is not getting the talk that a lot of other stuff is.
2: I feel like this is just me as a fan, completely apart from being a co writer of a book that was tied into Infinity uh, Countdown and Infinity Wars. Uh, I think people are sleeping on Jerry Duggan in general. Who Agreed. is doing top-level, amazing work. And I, like, obviously, like, Infinity Wars is a big deal. So, you know, obviously Marvel knows he's great. I wish I heard more people talking about going back and reading his stuff on Guardians, which was so good. Uh, in addition to, like, jumping on Infinity, Countdown, and Infinity Wars. Because they are they are bananas stories, and they're very, very good. I love them. Uh, I binged his Deadpool run. Right, like
0: after it ended on on Marvel Unlimited, and it's yeah no Jerry Duggan's fantastic. Yeah, uh, his his issues too, where where uh, your your former co creator Scott Koblish was doing some of the art, and he would do like basically period pieces. Yeah, so good, so excellent.
2: Those uh, are so good. I mean, th- those issues are kind of why we wanted to put X Force into '92 because we were like, oh well, Scott's gonna draw them. So
0: absolutely. Um, well.
2: Uh, do we want to
0: move on to accolades? Chris, did you, did you, uh, did you prep any accolades?
2: Oh, I I got, I got some.
0: Okay. Sweet. Let's go to accolades.
1: Accolades. All right. Do we want to start off with best line?
0: Christy, start us off.
1: Okay. So my best line, it has a little bit of lead in. Um, we hear from the phalanx it is the true meaning of being whole talking about you know their failingsness and then we have the comeback from Wolverine i'll give you a whole you know the big guy might be a royal pain but he's our royal pain <laughs> talking about cable
0: <laughs> that's pretty excellent i feel like this these great these best lines are going to be kind of one liners
2: <laughs> there is a long and beautiful tradition in x-men books of lines where someone is like rescuing someone or demanding someone back who has been taken prisoner because they like they do the same thing in um i think it's x-men number eight when they when they go to the 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 caverns underneath new orleans uh with gambit and (laughs) ghostwriter and fight the brood and uh and then they go to get wolverine and i think it's jubilee goes yeah all adamantium and attitude we want it back (laughs) and i'm like oh perfect jubilee you're the best Alright, I'll do my best line next, which is said by
0: Isan, who is one of the named members of the phalanx. Oh. He says, and I quote, you know, since that's what we're doing, you dare to penetrate the inner core of a phalanx co-opted structure? (laughs) 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 Which is, this is the, no one, no one's written that since. That's the, (laughs) that's the only time that's been written, and it will never be written again. Beautiful.
2: Uh, I guess mine Mine is very early on, uh, which is just Wolverine getting ready to parachute into the story and going, whatever's down there is Harry to the max. Yes! <laughs> because the best thing about it is he talks about, he says, Harry to the max. <laughs> and then two panels later, he's like, I remember fighting in World War II. <laughs> yes. He keeps up. He's down with the kids.
0: <laughs> he also says it to his, his plane, his his pilot, whose name is Harry.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: which he's he's named or no the no it's actually the pilot says it so it's whatever's down there is Harry to the Max Logan and then the next line is but down there is where I gotta be Harry <laughs> that's awkward name placement Larry what are you doing
1: so we've got greatest hero next.
2: Christy, start us off.
1: All right. We'll keep the same order. Uh, I had to go with Jean Grey because she seems amazing during explosions and getaways. Like her just, you know, just picking everybody up, making sure everybody's safe. Like they'd all be dead without Jean Grey. Right?
0: (laughs) Jean seems like the adult in the situation. (laughs) Is that what you're saying? Um, so we, so normally we'd call this a daily double, but we have three of us, but oh. mine is also Jean Grey because yes, she actually seems to know what she's doing. C- Cable, she pulls Cable in on this TK thing, which she mm-hmm. is clearly terrible at, uh, which is the first, I feel like the first time I've ever read Cable being terrible at something. And she's just kind of being super helpful the entire time and very, very encouraging and good on she's you, She's being Grey. a mom. She's, she's literally being a mom, mm-hmm. uh, which... So we didn't... I should have d- done this as my best line, where she's about to chuck him up with telekinesis oh. and says... And, and Cable she's says... She's worried about it. She's worried about it. And Cable says, it's not like you're the one who used to chuck me up in the air when I was a toddler. And it's like...
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's a very specific thing to say, Cable.
0: <laughs> very specific.
2: Uh, Chris, what was your... Who's your greatest hero? Well, it's not Jean. I'm sorry. It is Richard Starkings of Comicraft lettering. <laughs> for really trying to make the most of what he's been given to work with here
1: i was just talking about to you about how much i loved that lettering
0: so yeah we were going to ask you chris i thought comic craft was a series of thoughts am i crazy
2: comic craft is richard starking's company
0: oh okay okay so that- so
2: i don't know if he specifically lettered these comics Uh, Because even back then it would have been like people would have been joining that company as kind of like a lettering studio. But he is the credited letterer, uh, Starkings and Comicraft. So Comicraft would have been the studio and company. But he also like now Comicraft makes a lot of fonts that are used for comic book lettering. But back then it was he was just a dude uh, with a studio who would letter these things. And the lettering is I love the look of 90s lettering. I love the the seventies and eighties Tom Warszawski lettering on X Men books too, mm-hmm. but the nineties lettering has such a specific look, uh, and, and I love it because it's very like just the way the balloons are shaped is very nostalgic for me. Like on that first page where all the tails are all weird.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> See, you went meta with it, which is fantastic.
2: Maybe next time I'll do something more to the point. <laughs> oh. <laughs>
1: Okay, so we've got coolest moment. Alright, so my coolest moment is very early on in the comic, uh, the page with Cyclops and Jean's uh, jet coming in, and the phalanx all over the place, that uh, that's big spread, and I love the uh, lettering and sound effects that go along with, like, the phalanx and the jet stream, where the jet has just been, like, sliced by the the phalanx, the full shred thrash like <laughs> lettering on there. I I just thought it was really cool to look at with the, you know, we get the It's basically the introduction to the phalanx in this, this arc. And they look weird and terrifying. And you know how much I love the, the written sound effects.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I was, yeah, I was reticent about doing, when we did accolades, doing a favorite sound effect. Because when we started to get into modern comics, I feel like they don't. Like they've lost a little bit, but this still has like a lot of like the great, ridiculous written sound effects. So my coolest moment was when cable decides that all this mind stuff is dumb, and he just decides he's th- th- we get several word balloons all in a row where he says, like, who said anything about quitting? and then just pulls out a third gun that is a, th- it's the it's the double decker gun. And just unloads on the phalanx when he's decided that this whole mind stuff is just not doing it. Mm -hmm. And Adam Kubert made him look like he was just so, so absolutely pissed that he has been doing, like, mind Wi-Fi fights against Mm -hmm. the phalanx when he could instead be shooting massive amounts of ammunition.
2: Uh, Chris, what is your coolest moment? I mean, it's hard to beat Cable showing up when someone vaguely says his name. (laughs) and having a gun so big that he needs like a like a little extending scope just to get it close to his face which it's... is mounted on like a weird train track on his shoulder by the way if you go and look at it it's huge no it's 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 gigantic uh it's
0: recently Cable has been drawn a few times with tiny guns and i just i cannot abide that if cable's gun is not like like if, if I can't imagine myself even being able to pick it up, like it's not a cable gun. And so when I read this, I was like, Oh sweet. These are, these are real cable guns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I also, re- like, yeah, cable showing up in the, the merest mention of his name. You know, you walk into like an Xfinity and you're just, you're, you you want to get an upgrade and you say, I really want to upgrade my cable. And then he's just there. <laughs> It's like, shoo,
2: did somebody say my name when I was body sliding in? Body,
0: body slide by one to uh, to the strip mall where I need to sell you on saddle or on cable.
2: Also, quick question: Why didn't he just body slide up into the failing space instead of climbing that stupid mountain?
0: I think they mentioned that some that, that again in the hand wavy way that they would they would Chrissy what it was
1: they, that they would detect that or it like that. It, Interfered with the phalanx somehow. He couldn't he couldn't do it on Mount Everest. He, you know.
0: Yeah, the Phalanx can do two things. Detect very active mutant powers, not the passive ones, and also body sliding. <laughs> <laughs> uh Christy, how about some 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 Crusher Creel Award for Silly Villainy? Alright. Named after our very favorite ridiculous villain, Crusher Creel, the absorbing man.
1: Yeah, so the Crusher Creel Award for Silly Villainy um, really doesn't have to do with what Stephen Lang is doing but rather what he is wearing or rather what he's not wearing he is in they kind of change colors a little bit but it's basically a pair of nude briefs like the rest of the phalanx is all techno-organic and everything and even the prisoners are all like fully clothed but we've got Stephen Lang just sitting around in his tidy whities (laughs) (laughs) and I just you know it didn't it seemed it seemed silly to me. Not necessary, you know.
0: Stephen Lang left his basement to do this crossover. <laughs> They're not even yeah, they are definitely dirty tidy whiteys too. <laughs> so my Crusher Creel Award for silly villainy goes to Cameron Hodge, who seems like, like I said earlier, he seems like such a dope in this comic where he just Constantly complains about this thing is happening. And Stephen Lang's like, no, man, it's cool. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And Cameron Hodge doesn't get it until, like, the very end.
1: Like, even when Psylocke tells him, you know, Lang is holding things back from you. He's basically betraying you. He's like, "Mm, nah.
0: Yeah, he's such a goofball. (laughs) It's just funny seeing like Cameron Hodge and X Factor, and then like Extinction Agenda was like a creepy, creepy dude, and he just seems like s- such a goofball in this.
1: All right, Chris, your silly villain or silly villainy? It's
2: it's got to be Lang for the conversation he's having with Psylocke, because <laughs> that that is genuinely it's very funny because cause also all of his uh. Dialogue, he's the only person who has dialogue written in mixed case, I think. Yes. So, in order to convey that he's literally just whispering at Psylocke, they just write it so much smaller. Like, it's another great bit of lettering. Uh... Uh, you are going to submerge your consciousness and allow an override system to assume command. This procedure will be impossible without your complete cooperation. Submit <laughs> will nullify main block against assimilation. The override system will be pre-programmed with an attack agenda, as well as a fallback option. You will be totally vulnerable to complete absorption, but it's the only way to get you into an advantageous location. If you could work with me here, please. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's- yeah, Stephen Lang's definitely a goofball.
0: He's, a, I think, he and Cameron Hodge show up at least to some extent in all three of these little mm-hmm. mini stories, uh, and they have like the same sort of deal. Like Cameron Hodge is like the very like boisterous, angry one, and Lang's just like, uh, I gotta just, man, I, uh, I got a really bad job, and I gotta find a way to
1: or a closet. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> gotta yep. get out of here. Okay, well, I figure that's our show,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, Chris. Thank you, thank you for being on with us, uh, for being our first guest. We've assembled we've assembled a cavalcade of comic comic podcast chris's. Chris, would you like to tell everybody where to find you on the internet and some of the things you do? I feel like we gave you a bit of a muted instruction or a bit of a muted introduction.
2: Uh, yeah, you can find pretty much everything I do by going to t h e dash That has links to comic books that I write, as well as columns that I write around the web and podcasts that I do. I do a weekly comics podcast called uh, War at Ajax, where you can hear my co-host, Matt Wilson, and I talk about uh, how tired we are after doing Wizard World this week. God bless you for
0: being on after that, by the way. I'm sure you have, like, the
2: con tired. It was a, yeah. The Saturday was 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. at Wizard World, uh, Winston-Salem. So there's that one. Um. We also do a uh, movie podcast and a snacks podcast, which is very fun. You will hear us getting into that one as well, based on our con experiences this weekend. I also do a couple of like episode-by-episode recap podcasts. I do one called Sailor Business about Sailor Moon, uh, which we are three-quarters of the way through the series right now. We just did episode 150, so we're in the the final stretch of Sailor Moon. And I do one for Xena Warrior Princess uh, called Xena Warrior Business. It's a spinoff. Uh, where we are into season two the good the good season of xena and i also do a podcast that's kind of like that but it's for the bible it's called apocryphals and it's me and uh, benito sereno comic book writer reading through the bible and all associated apocrypha uh, which is going to have a special episode if you uh, aren't sure you want to hear us talk about the bible but you would like to hear us talk about some medieval literature uh since both of our birthdays are coming up and our next episode will drop on my birthday. We are doing the life of St. Christopher and the life of St. Benedict. So that will actually be of interest to fans of Chris's as well.
0: Yeah. St. Christopher is my boy. We are also both uh, Roman Catholic. So <laughs> they
2: let him back in.
0: Yeah. Um, they, they
2: kicked him out. Cause he was a werewolf. <laughs> they're still like, they're like, did this dude exist? Uh... <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, look, Almost assuredly not, because he was a werewolf.
0: Yeah, Saint Christopher is is Robin Hood real? To use the parlance of Apocryphals. So, yes. to listeners of this podcast, Apocryphals is is absolutely fantastic. When like it is it is it is so good. I I cannot get over how much I love Apocrypals. and I was I was mildly skeptical going in, but I was like, oh man, this is so good. This is just right up my alley.
2: Thank you, and and we've done uh, at this point in the show. I think episode fourteen was the last one we did, and we've done stuff that you probably are very familiar with because we did a long series covering all four canonical gospels. But we have also done stuff that you are assuredly not familiar with, like the acts of Peter and Paul, in which a talking dog shows up at one point, and uh, the story of Ahikar, where there is a riddle contest involving eagle boys. So we cover the we cover the wide spectrum of uh, sacred writing on that show, and we we do our best to not be jerks about it. Is no, the as, premise as
0: a as a as a practicing Catholic, we're you know we're practicing. We don't we don't necessarily ascribe to everything, but we are we are somewhat we're, practicing Catholics. Practicing
1: cafeteria Catholics. We're
0: practicing cafeteria Catholics. You do a pretty good job of not being a jerk.
2: Thank you. We really do try because the we are. The, the The truth is, the, the tagline of the podcast is it's two non-believers read through the Bible and try not to be jerks about it. And the reason we did not put two atheists read through the Bible and try not to be jerks about it is because we didn't want to sound like jerks.
0: <laughs> yeah, you would immediately sound like, all right, gospels, boo.
2: Yeah, um, let me uh, let me put on my fedora and tell you why you're wrong to believe anything.
0: <laughs> Yeah,
2: so you get, you guys uh, do an
0: absolutely excellent job. So,
2: but um, we also make a lot of comic book references on that show. Oh, and I should say, uh, I did reference this before, but uh, I've written a lot of comics for Marvel, uh, including X-Men 92. But the current thing that we're working on is Infinity War's Sleepwalker. It is going to be very weird, very fun. Uh, it's going to tie into the main series in a kind of unexpected way, I think. But it's uh, Sleepwalker coming back, and we're following up on what we did in Infinity Countdown Darkhawk, our most recent story. Darkhawk, I think, is going to be out in paperback fairly soon. But Sleepwalker is uh, its in previews now for solicitation, uh, along with an Army of Darkness Halloween special uh, that I have. I think I've got two things currently that you can tell your comic book store you would like to order. So uh, if you like crossovers yeah. and you want to get those good, good tie-ins... <laughs> yeah. Then, then, boy, do I have stuff for fans of Chris's and for fans of Infinite Earths. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Christy, where uh, where can we be found on the internet?
1: You can find us on Twitter or Facebook at Chris's Pod. You can email us at Chris's at, Infinite Earth at gmail.com. Thanks yeah, you, you can
0: subscribe it. and mm-hmm. five-star review us on, I don't know, we're on, like, everything. Chris, thank you again for being on the show. Uh, it was an absolute delight having you. And we really
2: appreciate it. And Thank you so much, uh, Chris and Christy, for this. This was very fun. I've never get to talk about the Phalanx Covenant.
1: (laughs) I'm so shocked.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thank Christy for that one.
1: (laughs) And until next time.
0: Slay your enemies and all you desire shall be yours.